Like when you're facing a tough situation at home or, or in the workplace, or maybe you're struggling with something someone has said about you, and that's brought on a bad day, or, or you're just under a lot of stress, and that affects your day. Or maybe you're in the middle of a dispute with a family member, a loved one, or a close friend. The list could go on and on and on. The fact is, no one has to teach us how to have a bad day, do they? It just comes along pretty naturally, doesn't it? Well, I want to read you something. This is a, uh, an insurance claim letter written by a gentleman to his insurance company. Now, the resource that I got this from states that this is a true, an actual letter that was mailed into this insurance company. I cannot vouch for that, but I'm going to read you this letter to this insurance company. This is what it says. To whom it may concern, I was recently moving five hundred pounds of bricks from the top of a five-story building. It would take too long to carry them down, so I put them in a bucket and lowered them by a pulley, which I fastened to the top of the building. After tying the rope securely at the ground level, I returned to the top of the building, tied the other end to the barrel, loaded it with bricks, and swung it over the side of the building for descent. Then I returned to the sidewalk and untied the rope, holding it securely to guide the barrel down slowly. Now, some of you see where this is going, I can tell already. We continue with the letter. Since the bucket weighed 500 pounds, and I weighed only 150 pounds, the force of the descending bricks jerked me into the air so quickly, I did not have time to think about letting go. As I passed between the second and the third floors, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and lacerations to my upper body. Still, I held on tightly to the rope until I reached the top where my hand became jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken fingers. At the time, however, the barrel crashed into the sidewalk and the bottom broke out. With the weight of the bricks now gone, the barrel only weighed 40 pounds. Thus, my 150-pound body began a swift descent. My descent was slowed only slightly as I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my broken ankles. The descent continued until I crashed onto the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. At the time, I guess I lost my presence of mind completely and let go of the rope. The empty 40-pound barrel then came crashing down from five floors on top of me. This accounts for the head injuries. Please see the attached medical bills. Thank you. Again, I cannot say it, but I think that would qualify as a downright awful, terrible day. Amen? Don't be that guy. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. So this morning, we're going to talk and we're going to take a look at an experience that two gentlemen that we're familiar with in the New Testament, Paul and Silas, an experience that they had while they were on a missionary journey to the area of Macedonia, specifically to the city of Philippi. And we're going to read specifically about a difficult situation that they found themselves in and 
how they responded to that difficulty. And so we're going to look at Paul and Silas's very bad day. Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 16 through 36. I'm so excited. The, the projector is working. Awesome. Here we go. I'm going to just read a first portion of that scripture. Acts 16, verse 16. Here we go. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks. Now this, I'm going to pause for a moment. This is a bad day that, that I doubt many of us can empathize with, to what they went through. Take a moment and put yourself in the shoes of Paul and Silas. And think about how you would be feeling if this happened to you. You are detained against your will. A, a mob of people are extremely angry at you. The authorities strip you of your clothes and you are beaten. You are thrown into a, pre, a prison on false and fabricated charges. And you don't get thrown into the, to, to the outer cell where all the, the light offenders are at. You are put in the inner cell, which is held for the most hardened criminals. And lastly, they put your feet in stocks. And just a little historical perspective of this. These stocks that they're talking about, it's not like the old Western films where you know your head and your hands and you're kind of like this. And it's, these stocks were actually, they were put on, they were actually instruments of like torture to keep you ultimate, in ultimate torture and pain and suffering so that you wouldn't even think of trying to escape. And even if you did, you would be so wounded, you wouldn't be able to get far. And so that's what they went through. And it's hard for us to even be in those shoes and to understand the suffering that they went through. So if this had happened to you and I, think about how, how we would respond, how we would have responded to the situation. We would probably question God and maybe be angry, become depressed. We might make statements like, God, why did you let this happen? This isn't fair, God. Why did you have to call on me to make a journey as a missionary in order for this to happen? I, this is one of the ones I've said a lot, a lot of times to the Lord. Lord, I didn't sign up for this. Right? God, I just can't take it anymore. I want to give up. We have made statements like that before God, haven't we? 
Those are our natural feelings, our natural emotions coming out. But the story isn't over. We're going to continue in verse 25. We're going to keep reading in verse 25. We're in chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Can we pray together? Father, in these next few moments, as we talk and as we look into your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear something beyond what we could hear in the natural, in the natural voice that speaks, God. We can only gain so much understanding, but God, you can supernaturally, through your voice, speak into our very spirits, into our souls. And I ask that your word would be revealed to us in such a way, God, that it brings impact into our life, and it encourages us to follow you. It encourages us to listen to you. It encourages us to be submissive, God, to whatever you want to accomplish in our lives, Father. I pray that you will anoint your word today and that we will be changed because you are a God who loves us and you are a God who has a plan and a purpose for every life who hears this word today, whether they're here in person or watching online. Father, we pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be established in these next moments we're together. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So here we go. Based on these experiences that Paul and Silas had, we're going to dive into our message. And if you have your notes, maybe you picked up the notes out at the uh, Welcome Center or you're going to watch on, on the screen behind me. You can also, I don't know if you know this, if you have a device, you can go to wfa.church, go to resources, live stream, and there's a, a part there you can follow all the notes even right on your, your, your device, whether it's your phone or something like that. So feel free to follow along as we, we begin our message today. Seven good things about a bad day. Seven good things about a bad day. Here we go. Talking about our responses to difficult situations in life. So here's number one. It's long. I've got seven points this morning. Each point's about 10 minutes. So for the next hour... 70 minutes or so, we're just going to be, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Pastor Jerry has three points, I have to have seven. So here we go. Point number one, it's long, but hear what it says. Our life 
of joy and victory come from within. They're not determined by our outward circumstances. Hear that? Our life of joy and victory comes from within. It's not determined by our outward circumstances. And this is what makes us different than the rest of the world, church. As followers of Jesus, our joy is based upon the promises of God's word, on the promise of who he is, on his very nature. So no matter what you and I encounter or what we go through, our faith assures us that God is going to see us through that situation. That is what our faith says. So our joy is not based on the doctor's report that might come in or on the job market or when you take a look at your bank statement, what it says or who's in the White House. Our joy is not dependent on any of those outward things. Amen? Well, some of you believe that, but maybe a few of you don't. Is our joy based upon our politicians? Is our joy based upon the fact that our bank account might not look the way we want it to? Our joy, our victory, our life comes from within. It's our faith. It's who Jesus is in us. So that is our focus. Now, I will say this, that when we encounter difficult situations, our human tendency is to allow our emotions to get the best of us and, and cause us to focus ourselves on, on, on things that are out of our control. That's what our human tendency does. See, even as people of faith, we still have to contend with our human nature at times. And, and Paul, he experienced this too. A little bit later on after the book of Acts in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, we read where Paul is, is suffering a hardship. And, and he was so overwhelmed by the situation that he was going through, he pleaded with God to remove that hardship out of his life. He said, God, just take it away. I, I can't deal with this. I, 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 can't, I, I can't handle this anymore. If you would just take this away. But as he pleaded for God to remove this hardship, here's what God's response to Paul was in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said to him, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. So think about this, okay? What the Lord's words were presenting to Paul, they were, they were, they were telling him, refocus. Get your eyes off your circumstance. Get your eyes off the trouble in the situation that you are so tied up in right now. Get your eyes off that and get your focus back on me. And so when God helped him refocus in that moment, Paul responded in verse 10 by saying this, that is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and in hardships in persecutions and in troubles that I suffer for Christ. He was getting what God was trying to do. He was trying to refocus him. And then Paul said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He had a revelation because God was causing him to get his eyes off the situation and getting his eyes back on God. And it's the same for us. Our tendency is to look at how big the problem is, how troublesome it is, how we try to figure out how we're going to answer the problem. And God's like, no, 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 no. Get your eyes off that and put your eyes on me. When we are weak, 
God's power is on display in our lives because we have to be dependent on the one who is stronger. Amen? We can try all we want to solve all of our problems, but we can't solve them all. It is impossible for us to solve our problems. But God is able to do anything, and he loves us, and he wants to remind us of that this morning. When we are weak, God's power can be on display in our lives. So our life of joy and victory is not determined by our outward circumstances. That's one good takeaway from having a bad day. All right, that's point number one. Let's go to point number two. Persecution may come even when we are doing what is right. Persecution can come even when you are doing what is right. And you might say, Pastor Darth, um, how is being persecuted for doing something that is right? How can that be perceived as something good? Okay, let's look back at our story. So while these two missionaries, Paul and Silas, were on their way to a prayer meeting, we read that they met, uh, they encountered a demon-possessed girl, and she was a slave to earthly masters. And she was this fortune teller for them. And so Paul cast this demon out of her, and she is set free. That is a good thing. And the girl's masters are upset by what just happened. And so they detained Paul and Silas, and they made these false accusations, and they stirred up people's emotions around them, and a mob came together. And Paul and Silas were publicly shamed. They were tortured, and they were imprisoned. All of this is a result of the fact that they were living righteously before God and they were walking in step with the Spirit. They encountered all that, even though they were doing what was right. And the Bible tells us that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we will face persecution when we do what is right. You can write this down or look it up later. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. It, said God, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. He says, be happy about it. Be glad. See, rejoicing in the middle of persecution is a difficult thing to do. It's hard to be happy and glad about it when you're going through it because no person likes to suffer. No one likes to have pain of any sort. We, we don't want to be isolated. We don't want to be ridiculed. None of us like that. But there is a way that we can rejoice in difficulty and persecution, but it requires us to, to, to think about three things. And this is what they are. When we suffer, we are suffering, in, in, or we are sharing in Christ's suffering. I'll say that again. When we suffer, we are sharing in Christ's suffering. You see, people rejected Jesus because he proclaimed the righteousness and the salvation of God. And this evil world we live in will always be opposed to the truth of Jesus' message. It'll always be opposed. So when we as God's children proclaim his message, we too can expect to experience persecution. And when that happens, we are sharing 
in Christ's suffering. He suffered for the message, the good news, the reality of who he is. And if we are persecuted, we are sharing in the suffering for the message of Jesus. So that's one thing we can keep in mind when we think about rejoicing in persecution. But another thing we can think in mind is God promises to bless those who are following him when they're persecuted. We read that in verse 10. And then the other thought was this, when we suffer, we will be greatly rewarded. It also said that in verse 12. So our suffering is not in vain. There is purpose to that when we are identified with Jesus. God promises to bless those who suffer for his kingdom. Keep doing what is right. Keep persevering. Keep loving Jesus and following him, church. When we do that, we know that we will be centered in him. And no matter what we face, we have his promises. We have what he has in store, knowing that he will see us through it all. Amen? Part three, number three, here we go. Prayer gets God's attention. Worship puts us in a position to receive. Prayer and worship. So here are Paul and Silas. They're broken. They're battered. They're locked away. What did they do? Did they ask to make their one phone call? Don't you get like one phone call when you get put in jail? Did they ask for their one phone call? Did they demand to see their lawyer? Nope. What did they do? Verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I understand praying in times of trouble. There's many times where I have petitioned God, asking him to intervene because I'm in a in tough situation. That makes sense to me, right? So maybe they were petitioning God to help them get out of jail. I don't know. That, or maybe they were prayers of submission in that moment while they were locked away. They were submitting to God and to his will. The Bible doesn't say exactly what the content of their prayers were. It just says that they simply went to prayer. So I get that. But what I try to understand in my natural mind is, how did they go from a prayer meeting to a worship service? In jail, in stocks, having been beaten, and, and, and all that they went through. How, how did they make this, this transition there? I mean, it, I, I don't understand. I mean, it's not like they had like a worship band in the cell with them. They didn't have a big screen TV on the, on the wall with the live stream coming in, right? They didn't have those things. How did they go from a prayer service to a worship service? Don't know. All I know is the Bible says they just began to worship. Why would they do that? Why would they begin to worship? You see, true worship, friends, true worship comes from the very innermost part of our being. That's where it resides, that's that true worship. And what it says is, God, I trust you. I rest in you. And I know that I have the assurance of your love and that you will see me through anything. That's what worship says at its innermost part. See, when we choose to worship God, even in the middle of tragedy, we believe that God is bigger than our present difficulties. We believe that when we can worship in that moment. 
And many of you know I, I've shared stories about my son and, and, and the challenges we faced uh, with him. If you aren't aware, uh, my son Braden, who just turned 13 years old last Monday, pretty crazy to believe, um, uh, when he was in utero, we found out he had heart defects. Uh, after he was born, he had uh, open heart surgery. We had some complications with that surgery. We were in Seattle for six weeks uh, while he was recovering, and um, we had to walk that difficult road um, for a long season, and still we've had challenges along the way. Still, two and a half years ago, um, he suffered cardiac arrest at home and was airlifted to Children's Hospital where they had to save his life. And um, there's been many a time where I've been at Children's Hospital and I was completely spent. I was in one of the most difficult times in my life and I was struggling. And I remember I prayed every single prayer that I could pray. I had no more words to pray because I prayed every, every word I prayed. And then I would pray in the spirit. I would pray in the spirit in a language that I did not know because I was out of words to say. And there was times where I remember I would be back at Ronald McDonald House where we were living out of a suitcase right across the street from Children's Hospital. I remember I would sit on the edge of the bed just spent. And my sister-in-law had provided some worship CDs for us. And so I would take a CD and put it in the CD player and just hit play. And I would just sit, and I wasn't having a worship service like we would have this morning, but in that moment, in that moment of worship, while this was playing, my heart could be positioned because there was nothing else I could do. I couldn't solve the problem. I wasn't the savior. I had to rest. I prayed, and I worshiped. One of the songs two and a half years ago, I remember I just heard the song for the first time, Raise a Hallelujah. Are you familiar with that song, Raise a Hallelujah? Do you know what the word hallelujah means? The word hallelujah means highest praise. And I remember I couldn't do anything. I just put that song on repeat on my phone as we were waiting for word from the neurologists on my son because we didn't know if his brain had damaged from lack of oxygen during his cardiac arrest. So in that moment of, de of devastation, the thing that filled my heart and my mind was, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope is alive. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Paul and Silas, when they could do nothing else, they went to prayer into worship. They trusted in God in that moment. Jenny and I, we trusted God in our moments. And he carried us and he sustained us and we've seen miracles all the way through the journey. All the way through. We will face troubles in this world. Yes? We will. Undoubtedly we will. But the question is this. How will we respond when troubles come? Will we allow it to consume us? 
or will we bring our troubles to God? That's what I believe Paul and Silas were doing. Say, God, I trust you. You're in control. You be praised because you have a plan and you have a purpose. The good news is this. God hears our prayers and our worship positions us to receive from him. Amen. Let's move to number four. We got just a few more here to go. The fourth thing, the fourth good thing about a bad day is we can live unashamedly for Jesus even when it's unpopular. Think about that. We can live unashamedly for Jesus even when it's unpopular. In verse 25, it says, the other prisoners heard them praying and singing and worshiping God. Now, how many of you know that the world is watching us as believers, observing us as we follow Christ to see how we handle difficult situations when they rise in our lives? You realize that? People are watching you. They're they're, they're looking at your life. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. And so when you hit hard in difficult times, they're going to watch. They want to see how you respond when you face those kind of things. Now, what do you think these criminals in the jail cell were thinking while Paul and Silas had their little church service going on in the middle of the night. I don't know. Maybe one guy was just thinking, great, this is just what I need. These two guys are going to keep me up all night. That could have been one guy on this side of the jail. Maybe this other guy over here said, uh-oh, a couple uh, religious fanatics in the jail with us. I wonder if they go to that Assembly of God church just down the road. I don't know. They're weird. They're really, really weird. That could have been some of their, their, their thoughts, but we don't know what they were thinking. But the Bible says that they were listening. They were listening to what was going on. I tend to believe that Paul and Silas were not the most popular uh, people in the jail that night. But it was evident that they were not going to allow anyone or anything to deter them from their faith. Even in the state that they were in, nothing was going to change that. See, they made a choice that, that they were going to be settled in Jesus. I mean, Paul all of a sudden, or I'm sorry, Silas didn't all of a sudden freak out. And Paul's singing. He's like, shh, shh Paul, 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 Paul. Um, these guys in here, they look really mean. And I don't think they know anything about Jesus or God or heaven. And uh, let's not get them all upset. In fact, we've had enough trouble for one day. Let's just, let's just be quiet. Silas didn't take that position at all. He wasn't worried about what was going on. They, 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 they didn't, that wasn't a part of their conversation. It wasn't, in reality, they didn't care about anything else. They didn't care what anyone might be thinking in that moment. Paul and Silas lived their faith out loud, recognizing that God was the only one who can bring them out of their terrible situation that they were in. They were plugging into their source. They were plugging into Jesus. They didn't care what anyone else around them thought. They didn't care about, no, this is who we are. We believe in Jesus. And so in that moment, they were living unashamedly. They didn't care. They didn't care who heard. They were plugging in to their source of Jesus. And they knew that he would be there and he would help them in their situation they found themselves in. So whenever we encounter difficulties, may our faith in the Lord, be evident to the world around us. In your family life, in your workplace, 
living life around the valley, may our lives be evidence of our faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Just a couple more to go here. Here we go. Number five. Fifth thing, talking about seven good things about a bad day. Number five, never lose sight of ministering to people even when you're in the middle of a personal struggle. Never lose sight of ministering to people even when you're in the middle of a personal struggle. Acts 16, verses 26 through 31 say that when the doors opened, that the chains fell off and the guard was going to kill himself. Remember that? The jailer, he was, he was going to kill himself. Now, Paul and Silas, they could have run for freedom and never looked back. They could have said, God has provided, we're out of here. And, they could have, and all the other prisoners could have ran out too. And it would have been easy because the doors were open and the chains were off. But I believe uh, there's a reason for their actions. They stayed there. They did not leave. They remained in the prison. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit who directed them to stay. Now think about this. Why was the jailer going to kill himself? Think about why, why was he going to kill himself? Um, because he knew that he himself was probably going to be killed once they found out that the prisoners was gone. So it's like, okay, this could go two ways. I could wait for them to come kill me or I could kill myself and get it over with and that's the end of the story. So in his mentality, he did not do the one thing he was instructed to do. And they said, do not let these prisoners escape. And so he assumed that they had all, all left. So he was going to take his own life. But Paul responded in that instant. He responded instantly. And the, because the jailer, if he had taken his life in that moment... He would have spent eternity separated from God because he had not heard the gospel yet, right? So, so, so walk this way with me if you would, please. Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. No one has escaped. And because of Paul's response and calling him out and, and, and the jailer not taking the suicidal action, it says that as a result of this, the jailer and his entire family came to faith. They were saved, because Paul, in that moment, didn't lose sight of, of what was important. This was a, a, a miracle that took place. In the middle of hardship and personal struggles, these two missionaries were still able to minister. They were still able to do what God was asking them to do. So this is our takeaway out of this. We should not miss out on opportunities to be used by God because we are in the middle of our own personal struggles. Sometimes, if we will open up our eyes, we can see some of the purposes, the reason why we're going through those things, and God can use us. So, Paul and Silas, even through it all, were still looking to minister, and they were able to help in the middle of their own personal struggle. Number six, we're coming into the, the home, home stretch here. Number six, we may even be called to minister to the very people who caused our difficulties. What kind of reception and hospitality do you think this jailer offered to Paul and Silas when they moved into the jail? Do you think he held a, a meet and greet? 
These all, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? We have all these laws, and it says you know we're supposed to you know uh, prisoners have rights, and so I want to make sure that you guys are taken care of while you're in jail. Do you think that was his his motive? No, <laughs> had nothing to do with that. They they didn't have anyone any, any defense attorneys representing them. This this jailer was not making sure that they had warm food and nice beds to lay in. He 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 wasn't going to make sure that their needs were taken care of. In fact, the jailer was probably just an extension of the suffering that Paul and Silas had been already experienced. They came to the prison, and, and his job was not to make them comfortable. His job was to make sure that they didn't escape. And Paul and Silas had to overlook the outward actions of this jailer now and to see the ultimate need that he had. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. I want to read these words, and this is what Jesus says in Luke 6. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for it? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to others uh, for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be acting as my children, children of the Most High. For he is kind and compassionate to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. It's a different way of seeing things. Back in 2005, there was an incident that took place, and there was a book that was written about this particular incident, and it's a story of a woman named Ashley Smith, lived in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and she was a single mom raising kids, trying to kind of turn her life around, and in her experience, a man came with a gun, forced her into her apartment, and held her hostage. Now, what this man had had done is he had been in a courthouse and he had just killed four people. He killed a judge, an attorney, a clerk, and an off-duty police officer. He killed four people and he made a run for it. And this was the opportunity. He forced her in his apartment, closed the door, and nobody knew where he was. They were looking for him, but they didn't know where he was. And now he was in an apartment with this woman, Ashley Smith. And in her book, my wife read this book, I believe, back when it came out. Here she is being held hostage by a person with a gun who just murdered four people. Imagine what emotions she was feeling. In that moment, or those hours, into being seven hours, she was held hostage. She started to think, what can I do? And she felt impressed to start reading the Bible out loud. So she started to read the Bible to this man. And then she had the thought of, she'd been going through a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. She'd been reading that. And so then she felt impressed to get out that book and start reading from The Purpose Driven Life to this man who was holding her hostage. And after a while, he just kind of relaxed. And the story goes on to say that the next morning, in the seven hours, the next morning, she actually got up and made breakfast 
for this man. And at the end of the ordeal, finally, he got up and he left. Left her alone. So think about that. She was ministering to the very person who could take her life in a moment. It's not like the second this happened, she said, hey, I'm a Christian. I want to tell you all about Jesus. But she, in that moment, God spoke to her. And, he, and, and this, this gentleman since has been life in prison. But, but God called her to minister to the person who was the source of her troubles, her suffering, who held her life in his hands. Think about that. It seems almost odd, doesn't it, that God can use us to minister to the people in our life who bring difficulties our way. But when we follow Jesus, anything can happen. And we need to pray, God, your purposes. None of us want to go through difficulties, but if God can exchange beauty for ashes, as only he can, then we need to say, Lord, not my will, but what you want to be done, let it be done. Because we can submit ourselves to the Lord that way. So we might be called to minister to the people who cause us the difficulties that we're going through, as he did with Paul and Silas. And our last point, number seven, in conclusion, when we reach out to meet the needs of others, our needs will be met. When we reach out to meet the needs of others, our needs will be met. Verses 34 or 33 and 34, the jailer washed Paul and Silas's wounds and fed them a meal. Galatians 6, 7 says, people harvest only what they plant. In other words, you reap what you sow. And our tendency is to look inward and not outward when we're going through difficult crises in our lives. But God's ways are different than our ways. It all kind of comes together in Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. God will take care of it all. I'm going to ask the worship team if they will come out and join me. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I tried to be obedient to what I felt the Lord was having me share this morning. In the year 2021, we've been going through the Bible on Wednesday nights, journey through the Word, and we've been in Acts recently and walking uh, through those chapters and and this particular account in Acts just was so settled in my spirit. And I was like, Lord, what, what am I to share today while well, Pastor Jerry's gone? And I just, I could not get away from, from this account, Paul and Silas. And so I've tried to be obedient with his word and, and through the, the account that we read in Acts chapter 16, being reminded that our, our joy and our victory comes from within where the Lord is seated. It's not on the outside circumstances that we go through. That when we pray and as, 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 as we submit ourselves to God, he responds to our prayers and he inhabits our worship and we can receive of him. And when we live unashamedly for Jesus, it, others can be drawn towards him. We can, we can understand that there might be opportunities where we can help others and minister to others even when we're struggling. God can use us for his kingdom. And when we reach out and help others, God always takes care of his own. So with every head bowed and eye closed, we're just going to go to two points, and it's this. 
The jailer asks the most important question any person can ask. Could ask. He asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer to that question is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So whether it's someone here this morning or someone who's watching on online, if you are asking that question for the first time, Jesus invites you to come to him with all your pain, with all your struggle, with your sin, with your questions, so that you can believe in him and he can take that burden away from you. And then you have the hope that he is gonna walk alongside of you and be with you. And then one day you have the hope of heaven because of what Jesus has done. So that's the first question. Anyone who is here, and you ask that question, what must I do to be saved? Or watching online, believe in the Lord Jesus. Second question of this, all of us struggle, all of us go through difficult situations, and it's, I, I believe in my heart, there's people here today, you are in the middle of the struggle. And what your struggle looks like and your difficulty looks like can be totally different from the person across the aisle from you. But we are all in the same position. We need Jesus in the middle of the storm. And so if you are going through a difficult time, I want to go through it to a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to do something. Put action to your faith, just like Paul and Silas. If you're going through a difficult time, would you just stand where you are right now and say, Jesus, I'm struggling. I've got this problem, and I, I, and I, and I need your intervention today. doesn't matter what it is. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you, as the body of Christ, Jesus lives in you. I'm going to ask you to minister. If there's someone who's standing around you, would you come alongside of them? And would you just gently place a hand, and would you begin just to pray for that person? It doesn't have to even be out loud. But if there's someone standing around you, would you just take this moment, and would you stand with that person in faith, you don't even know what the situation is, but Jesus does, and he will use you. He will use you in this moment to stand with a fellow follower of Christ in their time of trouble. And we are gonna pray the prayer of faith this morning. We believe that God is bigger than it all, we believe that God has plans and purposes and now we're gonna believe and pray in faith and then we're gonna trust that God is hearing our prayers and he is actively working on our behalf. Can we pray together in Jesus' name? We pray, Father, we trust you in the middle of every storm and of every, every difficulty. We trust God that you are still seated on the throne and that you are in control. And God, we know that you don't always bring hardship. You don't always bring struggle. You don't cause evil to come against anyone. But you've promised that as long as we live in this world and we face these type of situations, you have promised that you will remain faithful to us. And you remain faithful and good in the purposes that you have for your people. And Lord, we have not asked for struggle, but Lord, it comes. 
And so while we go through these difficult times, I pray, Father, that we will hear your voice, that we will realize that you can bring good out of any bad situation. God, we are trusting you. God, I pray that we will see miracles and, and just signs and wonders and the way that you come alongside your people as they trust in you and as they desire, God, to follow you through the situations in life that they're facing right now. In Jesus' powerful name, God, we pray that the enemy's work would be broken that every intent of the enemy would be stopped and that, God, your kingdom purposes would be forwarded in the lives of your people, in the life of your church, God, in this valley, in our country, and around the world, Father. We know that the enemy is against us, but, God, we trust and we know that you are for us. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask Tammy to lead us in worship because this is, we talked about it, prayer and worship. We're going to close with this worship song again. So Tammy, would you lead us?